Hey everyone, welcome to the Burn Culture Podcast. We are honored that you're tuning in to this week's message, and we pray that you would encounter the presence of God in a fresh way through this word. Let's jump in. Um, man, I am super honored before we get into the text just for a little bit this morning. I know the Lord has already done so much, but I do want to share a few things uh, that the Lord has laid on my heart that I feel is important just for where the Lord has us and what he's trying to do in our midst. But before I do that, I want to honor Josiah and Jenna, I believe, right? Did I get that right? Jenna? Jen. Josiah and Jen are here with us all the way from Orange Beach, Alabama. They drove a long way, so can we bless them? Just let them know that we're thankful. He hit me up last week, and we have several friends in the ministry. They're just mutual relationships in the kingdom, and so he hit me up and said that they were going to come and had a weekend off, so bro, thank you for coming. It means a lot that you're here. All right, guys, we're going to 2 Corinthians. We're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read one verse, and that's going to be the first verse of many that we're going to look at today. And um, we are going to read the Bible today. The Word works. Amen. The Word is powerful enough all by itself. and doesn't need any help. But we do need the work of the Spirit to more deeply conform us to the image of Christ. And the Word is one of the primary ways that God chisels in our hearts and in our lives and more deeply conforms us into His image. God is really concerned about your formation. And we're going to talk, really, I'm not going to speak actually individually to anyone today. I more so feel, and this will minister to you individually, I believe that, but I really more so feel a corporate word for our body. Um, I feel that we're kind of to come from a 30,000-foot view and give some prophetic language and give some perspective according to the Bible about where we are and just hopefully it'll all make sense uh, when we wrap up. And it's 11.57, so if you guys will just give me a few moments to develop this, we're going to let you get out of here and go eat some food. Will, you ready to roll? We got a lot of verses and we got some, we got some stuff going on on the screen for you today. So 2 Corinthians I texted to you last night, Doc. That's fine. I got my Bible. 2 Corinthians 6. And I got my ribbons turned to it. So we ready. Oh, 2 Corinthians 3. I apologize. Verse 18. It says this. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed into the same image from glory to to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Let's read it one more time. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. I want to talk to you guys for a few moments today from the subject of synagogues to temples, from synagogues to temples. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would apply what makes preaching and teaching of the Word effective, and that is the anointing. Holy Spirit, I thank you for what you've already done in this room. And Lord, I just pray for eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that the Spirit wants to say to us and to the church. Lord, I thank you for this kingdom family. I thank you for this body. And I thank you, Lord, for this presence that we sense in this room. Uh, And Lord, I thank you that when we're walking out of here today, we're walking out of here edified. We're walking out of here strengthened. We're walking out of here encouraged today. And it's in the awesome name of Yeshua we pray. Amen. That's good, Dex. Thank you, bro. So, what I just read to you is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, right? We know First and Second Corinthians, he's writing to the church at Corinth. And all throughout this chapter, in chapter 3, he is giving some language to Moses back in, in, in the Old Testament. Moses would go up on the mountain often and he would meet with the Lord. And we're going to go through several passages today, and we're going to go on a little bit of journey, and I'm going to try to do it as quickly and precisely and concisely as I can. And we're going to begin in Exodus with Moses. And when Moses came down the mountain, the Bible says that he had to veil his face so that it would not, because his face was shining so brilliantly, not like when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. We know that his face was glowing and glistening with the radiance of Christ. But the glory that was coming off of Moses' face was a decreasing glory. 
It was a fading glory. And the glory that Jesus carries and the glory that Jesus puts in us is an ever-increasing glory. So when Paul writes here, he says, with unveiled face. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know what he's meaning when he's saying that. He's using some Old Testament language, and he's saying now we don't come into the presence of God with mask on our face. We don't veil anything. We are made in the image, and, the, and we are growing in the likeness of Christ. God made us in his image. That is his gift to us. But we are more deeply and more deeply conformed week in and week out, month in and month out of our lives in the likeness of Christ, right? So his gift to us is the fact that we've been made in his image, but we grow, you and I, we grow in his likeness and that becomes our gift back to God. And the primary way that we behold the glory of God, or excuse me, let me back up and reframe that. The primary way that we get more deeply conformed to the image of Christ and we grow in the likeness of him and in the character of Christ is to behold him and his beauty. Everybody say that word with me, behold. See, the word behold is similar to the word see, but the word see and the word behold are not the same necessarily. You saw a lot of things when you came in here this morning. You saw a lobby. You saw a coffee bar. You saw children playing. You saw the worship team. You saw microphones and speakers and all these things. You see all of that, but that's different than beholding. When John the Baptist was baptizing people in the River Jordan, he says, Behold, it is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So when you behold something, it implies a little bit deeper meaning. It has a little bit more of a richer connotation than just what I saw or what I'm seeing. When you behold something, it cuts you to your innermost parts. I don't know about you, but when I was a young man and I was dating long before I met my wife, and then even way even more so now when I met my wife, we've been married for this year will be six years, and I date, you know, everybody dates and all the things. And so when I was going through high school, I remember, like, I mean, you would go from, like, not worrying about what you're wearing, not worrying about what your hair looks like, Nick, not worried about whether you're in the weight room or not, not worried about the clothes that you have, not worried about if you brushed your teeth just right before you got there, and then that young man meets that young lady. Come on, Trey. And then all of a sudden, buddy that came, looked like he just came out of a dumpster, all of a sudden looks like Hugh Hasselhoff or something, or Henry, whatever his name, you know what I mean? Like, now, last week, you looked completely different, but this week, you look totally different than the way that I saw you last week. You had your shirt tail hanging out, face all jacked up, got boogers all in your eyes, hair's not combed, and then Jarrett meets Mahala. And then all of a sudden, my Lord, she's so pretty, I got to reflect her beauty. I can't be walking around with that pretty young lady right there not looking a certain way. How much more, Lydia, do we, when we behold the king, it starts to bring reformation and formation to our lives. You see, you see me up here dancing, you see different ones waving streamers, spinning around, running around the room. We get excited. And the reason why we get excited is because we've seen him. You see, you can't judge my level of dancing and praising. You can't judge my level of worship because you possibly, I'm not saying that you have, I'm not saying that you haven't, but just maybe you haven't quite seen him fully yet. And I'm not saying that I have. I'll be seeing him for the rest of my life, but I have seen him and been convicted to a place deep down in my bones that I can't just see the king of glory and it not bring some revolutionary change and transformative work in my life. When you see him, he begins to work on you from the inside out, mind, body, soul, and spirit. God doesn't just care how spiritual you are. He also cares about your body, your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions. Even as your soul prospers, you will prosper. We have to be healthy in here long before we can get healthy out here. And it all begins with doing what Paul 
explains for us in 2 Corinthians when he says, now we all, those who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, those that have pledged their allegiance to Jesus, who have been bought with his blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary and have been adopted into his family, now that's been going on for over 2,000 years or more, we all now, because of the blood and what that is made available for us, get to go to the throne, according to Hebrews, we get to go to the throne with boldness. One translation says confidence, to look at him, to see him. I have news flash for you guys this morning, man. Whatever you're looking at is the thing you're becoming. The thing that you are staring at the most. If you scroll on social media nine hours a day, you're probably, gonna, you're probably not going to feel too good. Miss Constance would tell you that if all you put in in your body when you eat is an unhealthy diet, then you're going to walk around feeling like garbage all the time. The same is true as to what we are looking at, what we are beholding. What we are beholding is what we are becoming. We glow when we know. We start to glow with the radiance of Christ. You see, in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the divine portrait of the Father himself. Bill Johnson, Josiah, I know you would know this. Bill would say it like this. Jesus Christ is not only perfect theology, but he is exactly and exclusively what the Father has to say about himself. If you're wondering about what Yahweh feels about you, says about you, uh, you don't have to look far. Just start looking in the Gospels, and you'll find a kind, gentle, compassionate lamb that was slain on a cross. He laid there naked, bruised in front of everybody to behold. The Bible says in Isaiah, the prophet would say it like that. He, grow, he grew up in the midst of them like a tender root. This is the most beautiful person that the world has ever seen. This is the divine human, the son of man. So what that means is, is it that reality of the beauty and the splendor of the majesty of the king of glory, what that means is, is that it cuts our hearts. Like in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter has to preach because they say this, well, what does this mean? And what do we do? You see, looking at him is amazing, and having a vertical lifestyle is where it all begins, but the beautiful thing is, is everything starts to pan out perfectly in our lives horizontally when we get the vertical thing right. You see, you can't even love your neighbor unless you love him first. It's the most important commandment of all. Love, your heart, love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Actually, and let's even back up and go a little bit deeper in this and say this. You can't appropriate love yourself, and you can't appropriately love your spouse, your children, and your family, your church family, or anybody until you first allow the love of Christ to pierce your hearts. Man, I had an radical encounter with God as a teenager that set my life on a journey. And I've been on that journey. It hasn't been a perfect journey, but I've been on that journey ever since I what? I saw him. When you see him and you see his eyes that burn with fire, Miss Cheryl, and you see that hair like wool, something starts to happen on the inside of you. And it provokes and convicts you into a certain lifestyle. It provokes and it convicts you into a certain way of life. So that's why we sing, and that's why we dance, and that's why we shout, and that's why we preach, and that's why we have four-hour-long services. It's because when you get in here, the revelation that you've got with Christ in the secret place long before you ever showed up here starts to bubble out, and it starts to overflow out of you, and you cannot help it. So that's the reason why we lose our minds in here. King David said, woman, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's about to get a whole lot more undignified than this. So what does that mean? What does all that mean for us? Right? Let me read this to you. Yahweh's ultimate intention for his church is for it to primarily be a place of beholding his glory. Anything else that we may give ourselves to is and must be second to what is sovereignly first. Let me pause there for a minute and say, I, I love all of the things that we have going on, okay? But house church and small group 
and meals together are beautiful, but they are to serve the purpose of making you more like him. Right? So we need house church. We need small groups. Samuel Whitfield would say that discipleship is the primary means, or it's the, I think, I think he says it's like the most important reason as to why this era even exists is discipleship. The reason why this age even exists, the age that you and I even live in, is to reveal the person of Jesus and then around the knowledge of God take you deeper into his image, which is called discipleship. We have watered down what true discipleship means. We think discipleship means going to Waffle House with the lead deacon once a week. That is not discipleship. If you and that deacon getting together is not helping you and taking you deeper into the knowledge of God, helping you grow in your wisdom and your revelation into knowing God, then what you are doing is irrelevant. It's not that it's not, I mean, it's not that it's beautiful and we get a lot just by being together, but that's different than what discipleship means. Discipleship orbits and rotates around the knowledge of God. The apostle Paul was cut with this reality that David had. David was a man that was pierced to the heart, according to Psalm 132, that I will not let my eyes close. I will not cross the threshold of my door. I will not lay down to sleep nor slumber in my bed unless I know that my king has a place to rest in the earth. So he spent hours upon days, upon years, and not only that, his resources. A lot of scholars believe that he spent over a billion dollars of, of our American money today, that he spent over a billion dollars to finance and to expand and to multiply singers and musicians and to, and to sow into their lives so that they could minister to the Lord day and night and night and day. So, just as in the days of old, when synagogues were built to try and preserve a people following the glory departing, we too quickly settle for being content with the fire being absent among us. The fire is everything. Say that with me. The fire is everything. If we don't have the fire, the one, we don't have nothing. We saw Friday night, a lot of good church, a lot of cute church. But if gifts and talents and your personal agenda is what's driving you to hold conferences and crusades and services, we are failing terribly. So when we come into services, we have to understand that you're not coming to hear what the preacher's got to say. However, that is beautiful, and we need the Word of God. The Word of God is helping us take us deeper into being conformed into the image of Christ. But the only reason why we teach the Scriptures, Austin, is so that we can hold more wine. Because I want the new wine of His Spirit, and God cannot feel what you and I are not willing to form. But what happens is, is we get so indoctrinated with trying to find a way to get as many people in our churches as what we can, that we leave the fire at the front door. And we say, well, it's more important because what more money means, what more people means is more money. And then we can do more. And listen, I'm not knocking anything. The church is beautiful and it's the bride of Christ. However, that is not the wineskin that we are building here at Burn Culture. What God has called us, our leaders to, this worship team to, and everybody that's a part of this family is to build a resting place for Christ first and foremost. We want his presence to dwell here. You say, well, doesn't he dwell on the inside of me? He does. But according to Ephesians 2, 19, 20, and 21, when we knit our lives together, that is creating a dwelling place for God's spirit to dwell. That's why we come on Monday nights to pray. That's why we come in here on Sundays a little bit early to pray and to worship and to minister to God because as we minister to God, God ministers to us. It's impossible to praise and tell God who he is and then him not start whispering back to you who you are. That's what happens in sonship. That's what, see, those that are confidently at rest on the inside 
of who God has called them to be are probably on the ancient path. And the ancient path would go a little something like this. Jeremiah 6.16, the prophet would say, stand at the crossroads and look for the ancient path. And when you find it, walk in it. Don't just look at it, but walk in it. Faith without works is dead, Valerie. It's not enough to get delivered out of Egypt. It's not enough to just get saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and go out of darkness, John David. you got to know what God is calling you into and not just know it but walk in it. Right? So we don't, want, we don't just get delivered from something. We get baptized into something. We go from being an orphan into a family. We go from being broke, busted, and disgusted to having an inheritance that is bountiful. We go from being sick in our bodies to receiving the healing that he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of his peace was upon, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. That is what Jesus does. Only Jesus can cause Emmy to sleep at night. Only Jesus can set John David free. Only Jesus does miracles, and the miracles increase. We don't seek God to get miracles. We seek him for who he is. And as we have a singular focus, the Bible says in Matthew that our whole body will be full of light. Right? So that's what happened in house church Wednesday night, precious. We started telling him he's holy. Next thing you know, all kind of stuff starts naturally just happening. Because if you'll just have a singular focus, you won't, you'll, you'll have testimonies galore. The testimonies will just start coming. And this is what God's love language is. This is what God's love language is, is worship and prayer. He loves it, man. He loves it. This is what's going on around the throne right now, and it has been for thousands of years. You know what God likes? 24 elders and four living creatures that are covered with eyes front and back with wings that are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb. There was a cry that went out, like Corey Russell would say. There was a cry that went out, and there was no one worthy to open the scroll, but there was one found worthy, and he was from the lion. He was the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he was worthy to open up the scroll. Because, see, if there was nobody worthy, if there was no elder, if there was no whoever, then that would mean that turmoil, depression, sickness, and disease would continue to increase in the earth. But I've got news for you, baby. When gross darkness is covering the land, arise and shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen among you. How will the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea? you got to tap into the river that's on the inside. One drink becomes a river, and it's Christ in you and it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Somebody give God some praise. How is the knowledge of the glory going to cover the earth? How will the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ? How will we see heaven come to earth? It's you start tapping into the God within. Right? So let's move on. Those who have inclined their ear would, would, can perceive this. I'll read it to you just like I wrote it. To those who have inclined their ear, like John the Beloved, got your ear on the breast of Jesus. Intimacy is where it all begins and ends. You don't get intimate with Jesus to get stuff from him as, an, as a reward. He is the reward. He himself and his presence in your life, man, is the reward. He is the pearl of great price. He is the rock of ages. He is the lily of the valley. He is the beginning and the end. And beside him, there is no other. It's the king of glory. To those who have inclined their ear, a massive global shift is taking place in the body of Christ. I believe this, bro. We are rightly, sh rightly shifting from synagogues to temples. And I'm going to show you what that means biblically and why I believe we are right in it now. 2020 was a divine disruption. I believe it with all of my heart. And there's a man by the name of Caleb in Numbers chapter 14 that the Bible says had a different spirit. 
He saw the promised land like one of the other 11 that was with him. There were 12 leaders that got to go and see what inheritance on the other side of bondage was looking like. They had seen the Red Sea part. They had seen water come from the rock. They had seen manna fall. And now they knew that their ancestors and their, and their people, their families, all the people's people had been promised a certain inheritance. And that was a land. Inheritance always has to do with land, covenant. A covenant man finds a covenant land and plants himself there. You don't have any authority in the land unless the land burns in your heart. you got to believe for this city, for this region. That's the reason why it's hard. I mean, I'm thankful for folks that drive for all over the place. But, man, I'm thankful, John, for the fact that God plant my feet right here in Tifton. I'm believing for God to do something right here. And as we do something here, the nations will come. The region will come. Our job is to dig a well, right? So there's a massive shift going on. And removing from just knowing the ways of Jesus and instruction to being activated in the way that that, listen, I love equipping. I love, you know, walking, all of that. But the primary reason why the church exists is to give God his glory. We don't gather for church for you. We don't gather for church for me. Church exists for him. He is the chief primary reason as to why we gather, right? Then when we gather for him, you start getting impregnated with purpose. Adam knew Eve. In the Hebrew, that is yada. Yada, when I get with God and I start praising right in the midst of adversity, whether that be in my house, my car, or this church, and I start looking in the face of adversity and I choose to praise anyway, I come back with a different report because God has impregnated me with something that's got to come out. You start praising, you'll get pregnant. We've lost our praise in the church. And I'm not talking about clapping on the one and the three, hucking and bucking on the two and the four. I'm talking about real, authentic, genuine, original praise that comes from deep down in your bones that say, though the enemy may slay me, I still will serve you. The, a thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it's not going to come near my dwelling place. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. The battle doesn't belong to me. The battle belongs to the Lord. That's when we start praising. You start praising, you start getting pregnant with something. That's the reason why, you see, let me, let me, let me I'm going to sit on this stool a minute. That's the reason why we worship here a lot. And it's important that you understand why we do that. So you ready, you, you, you ready Will? Let's go. Exodus chapter 29, verse 42 through 46. Can we pull that up? It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak to you there. I will meet there with the sons of Israel and it shall be consecrated by my glory. It will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve as priests to me. And I will dwell among them. And I will dwell among them. And I will dwell among them. It has always been the desire of God to dwell in the midst of his people. It has always been, leave that up. It has always been the desire of God to separate a people from, for himself and to dwell in the midst of them. You see, if we don't have God's glory, we're no different than the country club down the road. So Moses says, if your presence is not going, then we can't go. I appreciate the fact that you're going to send an angel up with us, but an angel is not the equivalent to your glory going with us. And then how will we be distinguished from the rest of the people groups of the earth if you're not going with us? Right? And I will dwell among the sons of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Throw that picture up. So it began in Exodus. God has always had a desire to form a people for himself. This is a picture of Israel encamped around the presence. 
Moses would go up to the mountain, he would meet with God, and God would lead them by fire by night and a cloud by day. That was the sign in the Old Testament prior to the fire dwelling within you. It was external then. Before the fire sat on their heads in the book of Acts, there was a fire burning on top of a mountain. There was a fire burning that would lead them. And they, even Joshua, when they got ready to go into the promised land early on in the book of Joshua, he'll say it like this. We've never been this way before. So when you come out of your tent, look for those carrying the ark of the presence and follow suit. Because we follow the presence. That's the reason why we open the doors and let the light in. It's because we're trying to track the dove. And wherever the dove lands is where we're going to go. That's where we're going to settle. And we're going to sit where the dove is trying to sit. You see, the Bible says that when Jesus got baptized up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and it didn't just descend, it remained. It was there on him. Bill Johnson would say it like this. What would it be like if you lived with an awareness that there was a dove on your shoulder? That every day you woke up in your life aware of the presence of God. That's the reason why we sing the song, let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your splendor, goodness, whatever, presence. What is it? We need to be aware, sensitive, so that we can be led of the Spirit. If we need to pay for somebody's gas, if we need to pay for somebody's Starbucks, if we need to give somebody a hug, if we need to grab them by the hand and pray with them, if you are not sensitive, you miss the moment. And that's fine. God is merciful. He'll circle back around to you, right? But what would happen if Abraham had have not been sensitive to what God was trying to do? At one season of his life, pretty quickly, it all changed, but he told him, he tells him, take your son and go sacrifice him. Well, me and the boy are on the way to worship. Worship is not just songs and music. Worship is a lifestyle. It flows off your life. That's the first place we see the word worship in the Bible. Me and the boy are going to worship. You lay your life down for this. Revival will cost you everything. Revival will cause you to reorient your whole life. That's why we call spontaneous meetings. Call a meeting on Monday night randomly at lunchtime. Hey, guys, really felt the leading of the Lord that we're going to have a meeting tonight because the, Lord, the Lord's wanting to do something and see who shows up. Who's willing to rearrange their life for the cost of the presence of God? Not a lot of people are willing to do that because little Johnny's got soccer. Sally's got dance. Bobby's got to get to golf practice. I'm thankful for all of that. But do you really want what you say you want? Because you'll have to pick up your cross and follow him at whatever cost. This is the first picture that we get of the idea that God longs to dwell in the midst of his people. Right? Let's go to the next verse. So Exodus, now let's go to 2 Samuel. You don't have to turn there. He's going to put it on the screen for you. 2 Samuel, oh, boom, Will is on it this morning. Now it was reported to King David saying this, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom, or some people would say Obed-Edom, and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. Let's read it again. Now it was reported to King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on an account of the ark of God. It's amazing what happens when you centralize the presence of God in your life. If you'll get the presence of God to be the primary nucleus of your life, your whole house will get blessed. Children acting crazy, won't do right, get the presence in your house. Finances out of whack, you in debt up to your eyeballs, the first place you got to start is cut the junk out and get the presence of God in your house. I just threw that in for free. On an account of the ark of God. So David went and brought the ark of God up from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with joy. And so it was that when those carrying the ark of the Lord marched six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened steer. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his strength, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Very important. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with joyful shouting and the sound of the trumpet. 
Then it happened as the ark of the Lord was coming to the city of David that Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down through the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she was contemptuous of him in her heart. David shows up on the scene, finds out that Saul has got the ark of the covenant representing the presence of God hid away in a barn. And the first thing that he does, it says, whatever we got to do, we got to get the presence back in the center of the city. So what he does is, is he gets some of his homeboys, put the ark on their shoulders and starts to carry it into Jerusalem. The motive was right. The methodology was wrong. But his heart was pure. He meant well. He had a right motive. See, the right word in the wrong time is still the wrong word. Right? methodology and the way we go about doing stuff is very important, Miss Priscilla. We can't just go out here and do things. There is a prescribed method. There is a prescribed prescription to how we carry the presence of God. We reverence the presence of God. That's the reason why we lift our hands. That's the reason why we sing. We lift up our voices with a shout of triumph. We play the cymbals. We play string instruments. There is a certain way we enter into his gates, most importantly, with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You're not experiencing the presence of God in your life? You got to get thankful. Don't have nothing to be thankful for? Find something. Just the fact that you woke up this morning is a reason to be thankful. Just the fact that you got clothes on your back and food to eat and a roof over your head is a reason to be thankful. All of a sudden, you'll go from living in the mud and the dirt and the pit, from all of a sudden, you'll start saying, man, what is that aroma of Christ I sense in my house? It's because you got thankful. And when you get thankful and you enter in with thanksgiving and it's courts with praise, the presence shows up. So David was a man that was cut with the reality that we, if we do not have the presence, we don't have anything. He starts dancing, and he puts on a linen ephod. Why is that significant? David was a king. David was not a priest. But David was an Old Testament man living with a New Testament reality. He was living pre-death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and enthronement of Christ. He was living in an inferior covenant like what we just read in 2 Corinthians, a fading glory. The letter killeth, but the spirit brings life, right? This is David living in an Old Testament reality, but because he was a man of the presence of God and had learned to cultivate the presence of God and lean in in intimacy with his beloved, he tapped into New Testament perspective long before Jesus ever shows up on the scene. Intimacy will get you places with God that programs and formulas cannot. Intimacy will bring you and advance you into the promises of God in a way that no other way can. David knew this. He was cultivating this lifestyle on the backside of a desert when nobody else was watching, which caused him to kill the lion and the bear long before Goliath ever showed up. So he knew when I take that sling and that stone, it's going to work for me because you know different than the lion and you know different than the bear. The presence of God and the anointing that's on me then to kill the lion and to kill the bear will be the same way that Goliath falls face flat. The presence of God is what causes us to overcome. It's the presence of God that changes a man's life. Miss Karen Wheaton's told me my whole life, son, just get them in the presence of God. All you got to do is start, get you, I don't care if you got somebody who can barely play the guitar, just start singing love songs to Jesus. Just come in here Monday night with a bunch of empty seats, and God will start moving. So, David was a man who brought the ark back into Jerusalem after Saul had neglected the presence of God, and he sets up a tent in Mount Zion. Put up that picture. We're kicking it into overdrive. That kind of looks like me. I'm joking, y'all. I don't look like that. You can go in there and ask Miss Abby. She'll tell you. But I'm going to see Reggie in the morning, though, Dexter. We're going to get right. Because I can't be hanging out with Mike Dow, Josiah, looking like daggum... You, you, you know what I'm saying? And here I am walking around with this dad belly. We can't do that. I got to look like David. David must have been in the gym, y'all. He wasn't at no Planet Fitness in a judgment-free zone, dad. He was in a crunch fitness. You know what I'm saying? At any time or something like that, getting it in, Greg Hall. Look at David. Look at David. 
Here he goes dancing before the Ark of the Covenant, dancing so wildly with his priestly garments on that his clothes have fallen off. And Saul's daughter looks at him and says, how dare the king defile himself like that? Woman, you ain't seen nothing. It's going to get a whole lot crazier than this. Because I used to be in the club when my clothes falling off. Now I'm in the presence of God. So what I was doing then without Jesus, now I got him. And the same spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead is now alive in my mortal body to quicken me. So... David's in the Old Testament, and he's got on a priestly garment linen ephod because he knew this, that 1 Peter 2.9 says, do you not know that you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people? You're a priest. Say that. I'm a priest. You're a priest. I'm a priest. But this reality did not exist in David's land. Moses made it difficult. Only certain people could come and minister to the Lord. But yet David puts it at the center of it all, puts it in a tent that's open for everybody to come to, Jew and Gentile. Obed-Edom was not a Jew. But he got the opportunity because he saw, David saw the way it blessed him. I just find it so fascinating that in the Old Testament, David was so cut with New Testament reality that he let Obed-Edom, who was not one of their kind, and not like Moses that made it, you got to go through all crick and cranny. It was made after the same mosaic pattern, but it had a whole different flavor to it. It was, we're going to put it right smack dab in the center, and anybody that wants to come, come on with it. So much so that yearly there were pilgrimages of people that were coming from all across the land, different cities, different places that all spoke different languages. Worship is the table. Worship is the great equalizer. You may not agree with all of my theology, you may not agree with all my eschatology, and that's fine. Hunter and I have been running together for several years now, and there's sometimes he tells me stuff I don't agree with, and there's sometimes I tell him stuff, and he's like, you smoking crack. But we are in unity. You can't have diversity without unity, which is why Acts 13 is the prophetic prototype of what God is trying to do in the earth. Because in Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, which was the launching pad, for Paul and Barnabas, because we said, apart, separate for me Paul and Barnabas. I've got to work for them. How did that happen? There was a group of prophets and teachers in Antioch that were ministering to the Lord day and night, night and day, and fasting. And as they were ministering to the Lord, the Holy Spirit speaks. Separate from me, Paul and Barnabas, I have a work for them. They lay hands on them and send them out. What's the point? Black, white, Hispanic, old, middle-aged, young, skinny, fat, super big, super tiny, it does not matter. Worship is the equalizer. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses men and sets men free. We can agree on that. Amen? Okay, moving on quickly. Second Chronicles 7. We're hurrying. Now, when Solomon had finished praying, Solomon being the son of David, Solomon had got to do the thing that was in David's heart. David put it in a tent. It was always in his heart to build a tabernacle. He couldn't build it. Solomon had to build it. David was a man of war. Solomon was just a man of rest and wisdom. He got to build what David laid his life down for. That's a picture of the apostolic working together. The apostolic is fathers and sons. Right? It's family, it's mothers, it's daughters, it's grandmothers, it's grandfathers. It's all in the kingdom together. Fathers laying their life down so their ceilings can be where the sons begin. Right? Eliana's going to start where I finish. Right? If I make 1,000, she's going to make 10,000. Right? If I make 10,000, Baylor's going to make a million. Baylor's on the way, boy. Praise God. Y'all know daddy called his grandson Boston yesterday? He said when Boston gets here, I'm going to take Eliana. I said, your grandson is Baylor. Let's move on. Now, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven. There's the fire. And consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. Nick, Liddy, is there anybody, man, that's hungry for that day to return? I'm not talking about longing for something to go backwards like we're trying to get something that they didn't have then. No, no I'm just saying I long for the day that the glory of the Lord so fills this place that Dewan just has to put that guitar down. 
We just fall on our face in reverence of the presence of God and what he's trying to do. So, Solomon dedicates the temple and the glory fills the house. So in Exodus, back to Moses, God's fire forms a corporate people because it's his presence that defines and identifies and distinguishes a corporate collective people and separates them, right? In 2 Samuel, King David brings the ark back to Jerusalem. He's a man after God's own heart. Moses, David. Now we got Saul. I mean, excuse me. Now we got Solomon. And he's dedicating the temple because that same thing that was on David and that heart posture that he had, Solomon knew. If I don't have the presence, I don't have anything. So Solomon, who is the wisest man to ever live, read the book of Proverbs, y'all. Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. For punishment, my dad used to make me read the book of Proverbs, Josiah. Can you believe that? When I was 16, it was, all right, son, January 1st, you got 30 days. Start with chapter 1. All them bad decisions you're making right now, they'll stop. You're going to read the book of Proverbs. And a little physical punishment helped help, too. You get that, get that toe up the rear end, too, right? All right. So, so we got Moses. We got David. We got Solomon. All of these men were about it, man. All right, let's move on. Now we got 2 Kings 25.8. Now on the seventh day of the fifth month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguards, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. Is that all? Perfect. Nebuchadnezzar shows up with his Babylonian people and says, you know what? I'm done with this. We're going to kill it all. Throw the picture up, Will, if you can, just to give a, you see this? No, that ain't it. That's, Sol- that's Solomon. This is Solomon dedicating the temple. Go back. That's beautiful. So after David says, I'm bringing the ark back, Solomon says, we're going to dedicate this temple because it's all about the presence. Next picture. <clears throat> now Nebuchadnezzar and the homeboys come in. Kill, the, kill it all. We're breaking it all down. We're going to destroy the temple. Right? So... Nebuchadnezzar destroys the house of the Lord. Ezekiel 10, verse 18. We're moving quickly. Ezekiel 10, verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. Ezekiel, in chapter 10, saw the glory depart. And the reason why we named this sermon today, From Synagogues to Temples, as at this very moment, is where the Babylonian captives decided that we're going to resurrect and try to rebuild the tabernacle. But the fire doesn't show up that time. Motives were probably pure. And we're going to rebuild the temple. Ezra, Nehemiah, we're going to, the glory has departed. And in order to preserve a people, we got to build something so that the presence can exist in some way. But the fire never shows up. And now we start building synagogues that are based off of principles, that are based off of follow the ways. See, I don't want to just know instruction. I want to behold the glory of the Lord and become like him, right? So we re- we're trying to rebuild it, but the fire never falls. So we start gathering around doctrine rather than a person, We start gathering around theology rather than a presence. We need doctrine. We need theology. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But again, the primary reason why the church gathers is to rally itself like David tried his best to do with 299 singers and over 4,000 musicians, Amanda, We are going to sing and worship and bring what's going on in heaven down here. Solomon, he he consecrates the temple. Ezekiel then sees the glory depart from the temple when Nebuchadnezzar comes and brings destruction. And so now when Ezekiel sees it leave, we're going to start building synagogues. Several years later, Jewish exiles attempt to rebuild the tabernacle, but the fire never fell. It fell in a synagogue model, which was to preserve a people around learning to follow the way of the Lord, but it was still a sign of judgment because the fire had not yet came again. Let's hurry. we got to go. Acts 2, verse 1 through 4. 
400 years or more go by. Malachi 4.6, unless the spirit of Elijah comes to turn the hearts of fathers to sons and sons to fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Hundreds of years goes by, and now Jesus comes showing up on the scene he dies, he's buried in a tomb, he, re- he resurrects three days later by the work of the power of the Father, resurrection power. He gets up, he teaches the kingdom for 40 days, and then the cloud comes to grab him. And now he's seated next to the Father, making intercession for me and you. But, 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 without the work of the Holy Spirit, we have no power. Acts 1.8, be endued with power from on high so that you can be a witness. You cannot witness to anybody without the power of the Holy Spirit. So when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all, come on, Dexter, if not, I'm going to preach all day. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly. And suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like, there's the fire again, and tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Now the temple has gone viral. What started on Mount Sinai, what began with David and Solomon, Ezekiel sees it depart. We try to build synagogues to resurrect it, but the fire never comes. Years upon years upon years go by, and now, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. Yeah, but Lord, we've been with you for three and a half years. What do we do now? Yeah, 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 but I've been with you. Now, I'm about to send you a helper. I'm about to send you an advocate, and he's going to dwell on the inside of you. He won't just be externally where I can touch you. He's going to be internal, where it's not just with you, but he's within you. And it's Christ in us, the hope of glory now. You are a walking tabernacle. The outer court, the inner court, the holy of holies. The outer court is your flesh. The inner court is your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your spirit is the holy of holies the deepest part within you out of your belly men don't know how to pray as we ought but the spirit prays through us with groanings that cannot be uttered me and you don't know how to pray the perfect will of the father Colossians 1 9 says that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will that's what he prays for the church at Colossae and the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 1 he says be filled with he prays for them that you would be filled with the knowledge with the wisdom and the understanding in the knowledge of Christ Jesus The way that you pray the perfect will of the Father is you pray in the Spirit, building yourself up, and it bypasses the mind, and it goes straight to the Father. Then you'll sit there for 30 minutes and have no idea what you're supposed to pray. You pray in tongues until the shift comes. When the shift comes, then you'll start praying the perfect will of the Father because you've got out of alignment with all of this, and you've came into alignment with the perfect will of the Father. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. The fire returns, and the temple has now gone full viral. Now the temple has been spread out. It's not just going to be on a cart anymore. It's not just going to be tucked away in a tabernacle anymore. Like David got cut with the reality that every man was welcome to come and worship. Now we don't have to look at something as an external representation of what, of the presence of God. Now that presence is alive on the inside of me and you. And we rekindle that fire, and we rekindle that fire, and we kindle that fire. Nobody can put fire on your altar for you. Leviticus 6, verse 13. The fire shall be ever burning on the altar, and it shall never go out. So the fire falls. Nebuchadnezzar kills it all. They try to resurrect it, but the fire never comes. Years go by, and now the fire has returned. Show the picture, Will. The next picture. 
that's the upper room. Clothing tongues of fire have now sat on each of their heads. Now, they all individually are a walking temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you not know that you, Jesse, that you, Bernadette, that you, Dexter, that you, Tina, are now the temple of the Holy Spirit? You have become the temple, Bo. I have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the reason why it's so important how we treat our bodies because our bodies is a walking temple, a walking tabernacle. We are housing the glory of God on the inside of us. It's crazy that we don't have just crazy smoke coming out of our ears. The king of glory here on the inside of us. It's the glory within, Austin. So that is what happens in the upper room for 10 days. They pray for 10 days. They fast for 10 days. They worship. They don't understand each other. They're all speaking different languages. But then a sound like a mighty rushing wind comes and it fills the house. And the Spirit begins to pray through them with another utterance as the Spirit comes and rests upon them, and now people are coming out from all over the place hearing praises to God in their language. What does this mean? These men must be drunk. Oh, no. These men are not drunk. This is the new wine that Joel spoke about, that in the last days, in Joel chapter 2, that I would pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters would prophesy. Your old men would dream dreams, and your young men would see visions. Acts 2, the fire returns. Acts 15, James speaks up in a Jerusalem council. And they're in a debate about circumcision and all kinds of stuff going on. And this is how he brings a mediating balance to it all. He says, don't forget, the tabernacle of David shall be rebuilt in the earth. In Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15, the prophet Amos speaks and says, David's fallen tent, even though it's been laid in ruins, it will be rebuilt and it will be resurrected. David was the most prominent king that the world has ever seen short of Jesus. And so the prophet Amos says, don't, don't get it twisted. David's fallen tent will be rebuilt. It will be restored. And Jesus Christ, the son of the living God that takes away the sin of the world will return one day. When the bride of Christ is without spot, is without wrinkle, and is without blemish. Acts chapter 3, the heavens must remain, it must remain until the restoration of all things. We've got a job to do. Be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion so that the kingdom is exactly what God is trying to set up in the earth, can expand, it can grow, and it can multiply. And the way that it does is primarily through beholding. It's primarily through prayer, through worship. So in Acts, we see it <clears throat> falling again. The fire comes back. Acts 15, anybody, anybody that says it doesn't show up in the New Testament is wrong because James, the brother of Jesus, says that it would happen. This is New Testament. Just reflecting what the prophet Amos had said. So what's the last picture we got, Will? And then we're going to close. We're going to pray. No, 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 no. Don't show that one yet. Show the one. You see that? That's what it's going to. That's what we're doing here at Burn Culture. We're gathering around the presence of God. We don't gather around anything else other than that. And as you do that, it creates a resting place for God's spirit. This is what David attempted to do with musicians and with singers. Here at Burn Culture, we're not going to tell y'all no lie. We budget $30,000 a year to fund musicians and singers. And that will grow and it will multiply this year. And it will grow next year. And it will grow next year. We will write check after check after check after check to fund that right there. Because that's what's going to happen. We're going to minister to the Lord. And we're going to praise him. And we're going to worship God day and night. There's coming times, Miss Priscilla, where you're going to walk into this building at 2 a.m. And Amanda's going to be sitting on that keyboard right there. You know why? You know why? She can start working part-time maybe so that that way the church can fund prayer and worship. Austin can come in here and not have to slave seven hours a week. And he can come play his guitar. And he can come sing worship songs to Jesus. And people can come from left and right 
and all over the world so that we can minister to God because we're building a modern day David's tent. Go to the next picture. Let's stand to our feet. I've lost my voice. If we can turn this up. It's already happening. Everybody take a look at that screen. It's already happening, my friend. A couple months ago, we took these chairs out. I don't know about you. There was not a dry eye in the place that night. The presence of God filled this place. We wept. We danced. We sang. We cried. We told testimonies. We prophesied. You say, Stanton, it don't take all that. Well, I think it does. Man, why y'all worship so long? Why do y'all have why y'all services so long? It's because we're doing the best we can to rebuild David's fallen tent. And it's not by might, and it's nor by power, but it's only by God's Spirit. So when I say, when I say that I didn't want to speak to us necessarily individually, I wanted to talk to us as burn culture today. Why do you have a three-day conference, Stanton? Why, why, do you, why do you get different people to come in like Jay and Anna and Mike? and I, why, why do you bring in Matt Gilman? and Kyle? Why, do we, why do we just keep throwing new people up here? And you came in here on Tuesday night and Dr. Mike probably hadn't played a guitar in forever and sitting up there playing the guitar. It's because we're building musicians and we're creating space for worshipers to arise so that we can minister to the Lord day and night and night and day. Day and night, and night and day, day and night. What, that's the song that we sing. Worthy is your name, Jesus. Let, de- let incense arise day and night, and night and day. So this is what we're called to do here at Burn Culture. And everything that flows from that place will go into houses. We'll go to kitchen tables. We'll go to living rooms. We'll go to dining room tables. We'll go to waffle houses and coffee shops. But the primary thing is this. We behold the glory of the Lord, and he fills us, and he fills the temple. David said, one thing I desire of the Lord, and that will I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to inquire in his temple. Mary was at the feet of Jesus, sitting at his feet and hearing his word with a one-thing reality. Let's lift our hands. Lord, I pray today. That the words that I've shared, Lord, I've done the best I could to try to bring language to what I feel you wanting to do in this city, in this church, and in this region. Lord, I pray that you would increase our capacity to understand. Lord, we need revelation knowledge. We need the spirit of wisdom, and we need the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of you to understand, Lord, what it is that you're trying to do in the times and the seasons of which we're living in. We don't have to just depend on the sons of Israel car to know the times and the seasons. God, I pray that you would give us eyes of understanding to see, that we could have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, I thank you for this kingdom family that's rallying for one purpose, for one call, for one vision, for one purpose, and that is to exalt the King of glory. That is to say, behold, it's the lion from the tribe of Judah. It's the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Jesus, we desire your presence. Jesus, we want your glory. Is there anybody in here can just join me for a few seconds? Come on, let's take 20 seconds and let that river just begin to bubble up. If you don't know what to pray, just pray in the Holy Ghost for a moment. Spirit of burning. The Spirit and the bride say, come Lord Jesus. Catch the church up with heavenly reality. Colossians, Lord, that we would not feast on natural realm, but we would feast on heavenly realities. Open up the treasure box of heaven. Reveal the secrets. Reveal the mysteries. We want to know. We don't want to settle for the outer court. We don't want to settle for 30-fold. We want to press into 60-fold. We don't even want to settle for 60-fold. We want to go into the holy of holies where a hundred-fold is. Take us higher, Lord, I ask. Take us deeper. Long before we ever walk into this room, let the river increase. Lord, I pray. I'm believing that we're giving birth. I'm believing that you will not take us to the delivery room and not cause us to give birth. Plant us by rivers of living water. 
water. Plant us like the mighty oaks of righteousness. Do this, Yahweh. Make every crooked place straight. Make all the high places low. Bring all the low places high. Make everything that's rough, bring it to order and make it smooth. Lord, I thank you for a John the Baptist spirit that says, I must decrease so Jesus can increase. Lord, I pray and I believe that we would be a one thing, one desire, one purpose, one vision. God will tell you you're holy day and night. We'll tell you that you're worthy day and night. Lord, I'm asking you for an increased measure of funds, an increased measure of resources so that we can see this vision come to life. If Jesus be lifted up, you will draw all men. Lord, I pray that this, what's going on in this room right now, like in Ezekiel, that it would begin to flow out of these doors and it will begin to flow into this city and into this region. Bring them from the north, the south, the east, and the west so that they can have an encounter a real encounter with the living Jesus. Oh, come on, man. Oh, come on. If we could just press just a few more moments, man, I'm telling you. Come on, let's lift our hands just for a few more moments. We're going to go home. Lord, we worship you. We worship you. Let the true worshipers arise. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Lord, I pray that a groan would be awakened, Lord, on the inside. Awaken a groan on the inside, Lord. Let him prophesy. Oh, Lord, I pray like Bartimaeus, that we would shake off yesterday's cloak. And we would prophesy light in the darkness, streams in the desert, choke pools in the wilderness. Lord, I bless him today. I bless his wife. I bless him today, Lord. Increase the anointing, I ask. Lord, you brought them here today just to even encourage me. Bless them, Lord. I bless their hands. Gifts of healing and gifts of miracles. Gifts of healing and gifts of miracles. Increase the dream life, Lord. Increase the dream life and give them visions. Trances, Lord. Catch them up in the night season. Give them language that they need. I even thank you for this group of people. Can we all stretch your hands this way toward Josiah and his wife? Lord, I bless even the group of people that you've got with them now. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them the revelation that Josiah's got. Cut their hearts, Lord. Cut their hearts so that way it's easy. Because where there is no vision, the people perish. So, Lord, I pray that you'll give him clarity. That he'll, it'll be so easy to just release like a river. Make it flow, Lord. Come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdensome, and I will give you rest. I will refresh your life. You guys are called to build an oasis. That's what I said. There's a resting place assignment very similar to this. But, Lord, I thank you for the prophetic, and I thank you, Lord, for the destiny being called out of people's lives. I prophesy that, Lord, and I thank you that Orange Beach, Alabama will be a homestead and it'll be a hub for the glory of God in the earth where the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Glory carriers, increase the anointing, Lord. Lord, there's been moments where probably question it, been difficult, hadn't always been easy, but Lord, I declare and I prophesy that the latter shall be greater than the former. In the days of where you're seeing him pour out rain, ask for more rain, more rain, more fire, more glory. I thank you for a kingdom family that's diverse of all races, of all ages. Let the kids run wild and free. Bring them from the far and the wide. Bring them, Lord, to a watering hole and to a resting place. I bless the work of their hands. And I thank you, Lord, for causing them to give birth, to not just not just children in the natural and in the spiritual, but through prophetic promises. I speak over every word that's been prophesied to them, and I speak life, life, life. Come alive and let the dry bones live. Every dry thing, every parched thing, every wilderness thing about it, Lord, I pray. Resurrection power, resurrection power, resurrection power, resurrection power in Jesus' name. Mother of many nations right here. Thank you for listening to this message. If you've been impacted today and would like to stay connected with what the Lord is doing through the Burn Culture family, you can visit our website at burnculture.org.